All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for bringing us Christian Huntley this morning. We pray, God, uh, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, um, that he would uh, be able to articulate and tell us what it is that you have put on his heart uh, to communicate to us here at Emmanuel this morning, Lord. And I pray that we would have open ears and open hearts uh, to know and to challenge and to grow in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Christian. Take it over. Well, good morning, everyone. As Andrew mentioned, uh, my name is Christian, and I'm going to show you as I jump in. This is my family. Um, my daughter Vera is seven. Georgie, that is a perfect rep representation of her. Uh, my little Spitfire three-year-old. Uh, and my wife Jenna is actually on a mission trip with our senior high uh, students today. She is driving a van full of students down to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, but that is us. That is my family. We hail currently from Bayport, Minnesota. So if any of you have Anderson Windows in your uh, house, um, that is where Anderson Windows is from. We're on the east side of the Twin Cities. Uh, but my wife and I uh, are both central Iowa folks. Uh, in my parents and my in-laws are all kind of around the Des Moines area. So this is home for us. So right now, my girls are getting a little grandma time uh, to soak in this weekend. Uh, and as Andrew mentioned, uh, I work right now for the LCMC, Lutheran Congregations and Mission for Christ, which Emmanuel is a part of, and I've been doing that since uh, February, I believe it is. Uh, I get the joy of working with Andrew on some projects. Um, but I am the, my fancy title, and I always write it down because I can honestly sometimes never remember, it's really wordy. Uh, I'm the coordinator for leadership and pastoral development. And so what I get to do is I get to talk with congregations and pastors all over the country every day. I get to talk with new seminary students who are excited about pastoral life and getting ready to help lead our church into the future. And that is a great joy to listen to their stories and hear the ways that God is at work in their lives. I get to talk to council presidents. I get to talk to call committee chairs who are helping lead their congregations into the future, into calling new pastors, and to see the way that God is at work in their communities and in their congregations. And I get to travel around the country doing a variety of events and things, so not only doing this, but uh, many of you probably recognize that location. I was here in May out at Riverside. Uh, doing what we call our leader care retreats. So helping pour into our congregational leaders, our pastors, our worship leaders. Because um, I don't know if you know this, but it can be a lonely world out there. Uh, and somehow pastors are not immune to this. Um, but part of my role as, with the LCMC is to walk alongside mainly our pastors and helping them not just be educationally sound, theologically sound, uh, but also that they're whole and healthy, uh, that they are uh, living both what they're teaching, um, but also that they're well taken care of and that they're connected in community. Often, and our topic for today, as the resurrected church does life together, it's a little bit of a hobby horse of mine. So when Andrew like, gave me that as a topic idea, I was like, okay, I'll talk about that. Because um, we need to be connected uh, even before the pandemic, and I know, I'm sure you're tired of hearing about it too, um, loneliness was becoming an epidemic uh, in the United States and across the world. We have become more and more disconnected from one another. Our schedules have ramped up. We're living farther apart. I was actually thinking about, uh, thinking on the way up here today, I drove up from the Des Moines area this morning, and just thinking about simple things 
like the average amount of miles we put on a car today versus 20 or 30 years ago. Um, we're traveling more. We're, we're getting out and seeing the country, whether it be the Black Hills or the northern lakes of Minnesota. But we're also doing that individually. We're living a life that's generally disconnected from those around us. And so I get the opportunity to help pastors think about that in many ways. But it's something that I think affects all of us. And it has seeped into so many church cultures as well. So many times we can come together as, as a community. We can come together on a Sunday morning. We can gather on a Wednesday. We gather at other places. And we can think of ourselves as this community that says, well, if we just each get ourselves right, if everyone just behaved the right way and we were good little Christians, then our church would be great. If we could just each behave the right way and do the right things, then Jesus would be happy with this big community that gathers together because then the community would be put together. And Jesus, as he thought about the church, as he, as he commissioned his disciples into the future, gave them a very different picture, which was read for us a moment ago. But I want to look at it a little bit. As John writes it down for us in John chapter 15, he connects a few ideas that I think are really crucial to the vision of the church that Jesus had. Not a church of individuals who were this great body once they were all put together, but a vision of a church that was interconnected, that was with one another, and in that we support each other from the inside out. And so he starts off with this great picture of the vine and branches, that as we remain in him, as we stay connected to Jesus, as we stay connected to this source of life, that it does something to us, it breathes life into us, that it makes us fruitful. And obviously, as we get disconnected from that, we bear the consequences of that. But neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And he's going to give us a picture of what that looks like. Uh, did I go too far? I did. Um, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. My words remain in you. If you remember, this is all done to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. And then he switches images all of a sudden. So as we're connected together, as we're connected to Jesus, and this is what a lot of us think about, my relationship with Jesus. How is that going? How is my discipleship? How is my prayer life? How is my Bible reading? All good things, but he's going to expand this picture for us. And so he says, as the Father has loved me, as the Father loved Jesus, so I, so Jesus has loved you. Now remain in my love. So now he's moved a little bit from this vine and branches, and he's talking about this relational connection. The, this picture, I, I talk to couples a lot as we're doing premarital counseling, or I really like doing weddings. Um, I know not all pastors do. I really like weddings. Uh, it's one of the fun things uh, in ministry. And this is one of those things that I often talk about, love, the only way we can experience love. How many of you have experienced love? Like you felt loved. The only reason we can feel that is because somebody has taken on love as a verb. 
Somebody has acted in love. Somebody has acted in compassion. And then we can feel it. But love is this activity that takes place. And so when we feel loved, it's because we have first experienced something. So we remain in Jesus. We experience his love and we experience his grace. And we experience this connection that we can't work for or earn or do anything about. But Jesus continues to breathe life and breathe love into us. Just like his father breathed life and love into him. And then he gets into it and he says, So as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love, that you may remain in my love and that my joy may be complete. He says this, my command is this. If you can do my command, the thing that I want you to do is love each other. And then he gives it a kind of a pointed end, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. As Jesus is about to do, he's going to do in the hours that are ahead. So whether they caught it at that moment or not, John is reflecting back and John is understanding that this was a powerful statement by Jesus. A self-sacrificial kind of love. A love that is just filled with compassion for the other. And so Jesus says, the, the body... The, the church, that all of us together, that we remain connected to God, that, that we can think about that connection, but the way that that actually bears fruit, the way that we live life as a resurrected type church, is that we love one another. Is that we move in relationship, not just with God, but actually those around us. And then he gets to the very end. And he reminds us, and if you go back to John 13, he, he uses this phrase like three times in two verses. He, he focuses in on this. This is my command, to love each other. He didn't say that my command is to get your life together. He doesn't say that my command is to live the perfect life. To do everything right. To submit yourself to daily devotion. What Jesus says the resurrected church looks like is to live life in love for each other. Now, I could go a lot of different places from there. Like if we wanted to talk, I could stand up here and I could talk about love. And you probably already know the most famous love passage there is. If you didn't read it at your wedding, you've been to a wedding that did read it. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of Scripture. As, G, as Paul lays out what, what a life of love looked like. But I'm a nerd, and so I did something a little different. As Jesus says, the church needs one another, that we're to love each other. I did this little Greek thing, because I'm a nerd, um, and I looked up the Greek word for one another. Because if you look through the New Testament, it shows up over and over again. Each other, each other, one another. And it's this Greek word, alelone, um, which is up there. And so I look for all the passages that talked about each other. If we're going to love each other, what does the rest of the New Testament say about being a body together? Being in relationship with one another. And so what I found ultimately was that throughout the New Testament, this word, alelone, or each other, one another, shows up about 94 times. Again, I'm a nerd, so if you want to check out for just a moment, we'll get through this together. Um, 
It shows about 94 times. And a few of those are simply like the disciples talked with one another or the Pharisees met together kind of with each other. But 55 of those times, it shows up in relationship to some sort of command or some sort of interaction with one another. Oftentimes, the the three kind of highest categories that I could find or identify out of those 55 that are left is that we are to forgive one another. We're to forgive. That we're to be humble toward one another. And that we are to love one another. That That the life of being together, this life of loving one another, looks and shapes this ways. But it goes on from there. And so there's, this is just a random sampling, real, really, but the church together, as we gather together, we're to encourage one another, we're to honor one another, we're to live in harmony with one another, we're to edify or teach one another, we're to build one another up, we're to eat together, we're to serve one another, and we're to forgive each other. I think that's a pretty high bar. Anybody else? But this is what love looks like, according to our New Testament writers. According to the people that were close to Jesus, according to the Apostle Paul who had his life radically changed, love toward one another, the community that was to be set up, the church that was to live on after Jesus, looks like this. It's encouraging, it's honoring, it's loving. I love that it eats together. Anybody a foodies out there? I love that we break bread together. And not just around a communion table, which I think is the most brilliant place to dine together. As people that walk in doors like these, maybe feel tension with one another. Maybe they had a bad interaction throughout the week. But as we come to the communion table together, as we break bread together, we realize the grace that is poured out for us. That we come to the table together. The same grace that is given to me, that is given to Andrew and Allison, is given to you and to Jordan and and so many others. That none of us deserve it and yet it's poured out on us. And as we behave in this together as people, imperfectly of course, but it begins to reshape us. It begins to mold us. Jesus begins this workiness of transforming us and growing us. That is in these ways we remain in him. Notice in that passage the word, it doesn't say we cling to Jesus. It doesn't say that we bear fruit ourselves. But as we remain in Jesus, as we stay connected to this vine, it does something to us. It nourishes us and it changes us. And as we live in this community together, we take on these attributes. This is what the resurrected church looks like. But I want to drive it home just a little bit more as we close. I got three examples of life together. I love life together. I, I think it is the, the most underappreciated um, thing in the world today. And so I'm going to tell you three stories. I'm going to tell you about being basement dwellers, about home repairs, and about coffee. Three things that I really like uh, in the resurrected life together. The first is being a basement dweller. My wife and I, as I was going through seminary, um, 
I, was, I had been working and needed to do an internship, which means I needed to cut back my work schedule. And my, my wife and I were newly married, and we're trying to figure out how to balance all of these components of life. And we needed to move. Where we were was just too expensive to maintain if I was going to cut back my hours. And so we got um, in conversation with a pastor friend of ours. We knew that they had finished the lower level of their house as kind of like a one-bedroom apartment, and their plan was to always use it for ministry. And the ministry that they planned to support was actually um, women either coming out of abusive relationships or um, new moms, uh, single moms that kind of needed a place to get back on their feet. And for a variety of reasons, that didn't work out, but they had begun to open this space to people in ministry, and it had recently become vacant. And so Jen and I approached this pastor about the possibility of kind of living in their basement while I did my year of internship and got ready to graduate. And so we, they had conversation, and we had conversation, and it turned, and they gave us a very generous offer that we could come and and stay in their, live in their basement, uh, that we would become basement dwellers. And the plan was to do that for a year while I worked in ministry and finished my internship and got ready to go on to be a pastor. And we found out we really liked it. Um, We helped lay a patio together. We actually ended up using their front door. So to get downstairs, rather than kind of walking around the back and coming in the sliding glass door, like we just used their front door like they did, and we'd sit and we'd chat. We began to share meals together. When we moved in, they had a four-year-old and an eight-year-old uh, and just a wonderful yellow lab. And my wife worked from home, so the yellow lab would come downstairs and spend the uh, days with my wife and then meander back, up home, back upstairs when the kids got home from school. But we began to live life together. The, the Turnbulls opened their house to us, and they showed the hospitality the hospitality of Christ to us. They loved us where we were. And so we broke bread together and we lived in community. And one one year turned into four. So we were basement dwellers for four years. And it was kind of funny. We kind of got toward the end of the first year and we were like, we kind of like this and they kind of liked this and we were growing in a relationship and so we extended it for a second year and then we stopped talking about it after that. That we were just living life together. We were doing life and then I ended up getting a call into ministry to serve a church and wanted to live closer to that so we bought a house and moved. But those four years instilled in us this sense of living life connected, living life together as they opened not only their home to us, but really their lives to us in a way that radically changed us for the better. They were hospitable. They loved us. The second one is home repairs. Uh, I'm a huge fan of small groups. I think every person should be in a small group. I think that as families and people, as individuals gather together, um, the way I like to say it, I'll start this way. The way I like to say it is circles are better than rows. No offense to Andrew and Allison. These are rows, and rows are great. We gather to worship together. We gather to glorify God and to sing praises and to learn together, and we worship. 
But it's when we gather around dining room tables and around living rooms and around coffee shop tables and we open up the word together and we talk about real life that we begin to live life together. Um, we begin to live life in circles. And I've been in, or Jenna and I, actually our family, has been in a small group together for seven years now. Uh, I know that because Vera is seven, and we started this small group when Jenna was pregnant with our oldest, and one of the other families in the group was pregnant with their first child. And it was this great inter, uh, intergenerational group. And as we lived life together, as we studied scripture together and ate together on Sunday nights, over the years, we began to develop relationships. And so we prayed for one another when things were going poorly, and we celebrated with one another when things were going good. And I have to confess that I am not good at home repairs. I know very little about it. It's not my thing. But I got two people in my group who really are good at it. And so like two weeks ago, when I needed to install doors in my basement because we had water damage, I called my small group. And they came over, and we lived life together. And we talked about the struggles that they were going through, and we hung doors together. And I just had to be thankful that there were people that I was connected to that were in my life that could come and live the mundaneness of life together. That they could call me, and I could go pick their kid up from daycare because they got held up at work. That we could water their flowers when they were out of town. But also for us, in this case, one of the kids in the group is quite sick. And so we'd pray together at the hospital. We'd be there for one another when life got hard. I can't tell you how much like just living life regularly with somebody outside of your family is just crucial to the life of the church. And then you begin to invite others in as they see the support and love that you're giving to one another. And one last one, as I wrap up, is coffee. Now, I will sit down and listen to anybody's story, as long as we can do it, with a brewed beverage in our hand. It starts in the morning with coffee and tea, goes all the way into the evening with beer. Like, brewed beverages, good stories, I'm in. I just think it's a good way to live life. Because they bring us together. I love coffee. Um, and that is a whole different tangent. But as I was graduating seminary, I got invited to join a group of guys that met every um, Friday morning at a caribou near my house. And I realized shortly after I started going to this group that I was the youngest by 20 years. That the next oldest guy was 20 years older than I was, and the oldest guy in the group was 20 years older than him. And there were about half a dozen of us. And for six years, every Friday morning, I sat down with these guys. And we talked life. We solved the world's problems, clearly. Just no one wanted to listen to us. My guess is you have these friends. But again, we talked life. We talked politics. We talked the mundaneness of things that were going on. Two of the guys in the group were pastors or retired, a pastor and a retired pastor. And so as a new guy in ministry, I got to ask a lot of questions. And so it was great to be with them. But every Friday over a cup of coffee, we built a relationship. 
and I got mentored. And these guys, again, you may know somebody like this. So we'd sit down for coffee. It's Friday morning. We'd sit down for coffee. And as all the guys sat down, they had to cover three things to start with. Who was broken? How were they broken? And was it fixable? But they lived life together. Who was sick? Who in their orbit wasn't doing well? What was the treatment like? How could we pray for them? How could we reach out? And this type of relationship just continued to grow and blossom. It's been a great enriching thing for me as we live life together. I've got a group I meet with online, and they harass me because I'm the only one who doesn't live in Southern California. It's the Life Together group. Are you in a Life Together group? I think you are. Yeah. Um, but as we gather with people on a regular basis, and we pour into one another's lives. We don't do it perfectly. But Jesus says, this is the body doing life together. Not just on a Sunday morning, not just in rows, not just when it feels convenient, but regularly showing hospitality, living life connected. The resurrected church bears fruit, fruit that lasts, fruit that changes places like Story City and Afton, Minnesota, and all of the places in between, because God does the work as we show up and live life together. Let's pray. God of all grace, you, man, you love us so well in ways that we probably don't understand or deserve. But God, right now as we close, I ask you to bring to mind for each of us one of those people in our life who's loved us well. Maybe they showed us hospitality. Maybe they picked us up when we were at our lowest. Maybe they gave us grace when we didn't deserve it. Maybe they just welcomed us in with a warm hello and a warm cup of coffee. God, show us that person. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for those people in our lives who have loved us well, family and not family. And Lord, as we go from this place today, may we be transformed and renewed as we remain in you that it may give us the courage and strength to love one another well. Amen.